Welcome to the What's Good Dough podcast and get ready to level up. But before we continue with the show, I want to introduce you to my two show sponsors, Uni Pizza Ovens and Cordo Olive Oil. Let's start with Uni. They are the number one pizza oven company in the world with the best community there is. Because of their ovens, I have made some of the most amazing pizzas. From round pies to squares, I'm able to get to temperatures of up to 900 degrees, allowing me to cook the pizzas of my dreams. If you're looking to grow your pizza business, buying an uni makes sense. My past guest Ryan of Sanctuary Pizza has a mobile catering company powered by uni. These powerful ovens are efficient, lightweight, and can be used almost anywhere. Whether you take pizza seriously like me or want to run a pizza operation like Ryan, Uni is the choice for you. Use the link in the show notes and join the Uni community. My second show sponsor is Cordo Olive Oil. At first, I didn't believe that olive oil mattered. It wasn't until I got educated and learned about the difference between commodity oil and Cordo's fresh squeezed olive oil that I ditched the supermarket stuff. Today, I only use Cordo Olive Oil when it comes to making my dough and even doing a post-baked drizzle. Mm. I have even made some amazing pesto with it. Oh my goodness. Cordo's high quality olive oil does really elevate anything it touches. My buddy Chris, who runs a slice of New Jersey, just switched over to Cordo. Not only is he getting quality, but he ended up saving money by switching over too. If you're still unsure of the difference, pizza operators can sign up for a free olive oil tasting. Use the link in the show notes to learn more. Thank you for taking the time to listen to my show sponsors and supporting this show. I'm using four different flours from four separate mills, all imported Italian flours that I'm using for different stages of it. That was Ethan of Naturally Leavened Pizza. And it's your boy, Idrif. And you're listening to the What's Good Dough podcast. Whether it's dough, business, or life, my guests and I are always talking about ways we can level up. I found Ethan on one of the Facebook pizza groups that I follow. After seeing post after post, I just could not help myself but invite him on the podcast. I thought it would be fun to learn about his style of pizza, Canado style, and we do a super deep dive. We also talk about sourdough, we talk about keto. Uh, just a reminder for folks listening, this conversation is for entertainment purposes only. We are not medical professionals here. For your convenience, there are timestamps in the description in case you want to jump around, or just feel free to listen to the entire episode. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show, and remember to always ask, what's good, dough? Oh, just a quick reminder here for folks. This is actually part one of the conversation. If you're looking to hear part two before it airs, check out my website. It's already up there. You can watch it in video form, as with this episode, or you can listen to it by audio. If you don't want to go to my website, part two will be released on Wednesday. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And remember to always ask, what's good, dough? What's up, everybody? I am joined today with an amazing guest. Ethan Spizer is with me today, and I am ready to just learn from this individual who dropped around 200 pounds back and forth, just doing the daily, the work, and actually eating some pizza alongside with it. And he's going to talk to us today about his journey, his process, and also the beautiful, and I'm talking beautiful, naturally leavened pizza that he makes. Ethan, welcome to the show. How are you doing? It's great to be here, man. Um, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's warming out outside here. Like uh, I'm in Vegas and it's finally uh, starting to warm up after that month of 50 degree weather coldness we had, you know. That that's a joke. I used to live in uh, the Midwest where it was negative thirty in the winter. So this is a walk in the park. My wife's sitting there shivering at like sixty two degrees. I'm like, you do remember, right? That like we had to swerve constantly on frozen patches of ice trying to go to the grocery store, right? Like, so yeah, I'm loving it um, out here in Vegas. It's warming up. It's turning into springtime, and everything's good. 
Lovely. And as a Californian who's been to Vegas in the winter, I remember crying about how cold it was and how my face hurt a little bit, but I don't know. I'm, I'm talking to you. I feel like I should just shut up. <laughs> no, no. That I mean, that's the wife. She's like shivering. She's like, I need the heated blanket. We need to turn the thermostat up. I'm like, it's, it's like 65 and sunny. We're okay. We're, we're all right. But yeah, um, to each his own. Um, and I got like Hungarian and like Ukrainian roots in me. So um, I'm used to the cold, you know, it's in your blood. <laughs> Cool. Well, welcome to the show. There's always one question that I love to ask everyone when they get on. There's no right or wrong answer. What's good, dough? Okay. So, um, you know, from a technical standpoint, like speaking about dough actually, and I know it's like, what's up though? But if I was going to say what's good dough, it's dough that's naturally leavened. It's super high in the hydration. But what, what's good is uh, I'm here talking with you. I'm enjoying life. I'm, uh, you know, in a sunny area and I'm making pizzas and I'm getting to talk about them without boring somebody because 90% of the time I'm talking about pizza. It's like to random strangers at the supermarket, like, oh, you know, don't get the Jack's frozen pizza. We don't want to do that. Right. Um, they're like, sir, um, I don't know you and uh, please step away from the cart. Uh, but now I'm in a, I'm in an atmosphere where I get to talk with somebody about pizza and, and they uh, also enjoy it and share that passion. So that's what's good. Yeah. Pizza nerds are welcome here pizza talk is welcome here. I love it. I love it. I love it. I brought you onto the show because obviously I was wowed by your beautiful looking pizzas and I want to learn more about your process. Yeah, no, no, definitely. The, the credit is due because those are looking mighty fine. If you ask me. Well, I appreciate that because I've been making pizzas for about a year now, like uh, regularly mm -hmm. in my backyard. And when I started, it was a hot mess. Like I was like, oh yeah, that that kind of looks like a pizza as I'm like holding it away from my eye squinting sideways head. But uh, but now it really does look like exactly what I had set out to do, which was cool. create like a very, very uh, puffy uh, pizza that has that risen crust that's naturally leavened um, that I'm making uh, from scratch. So yeah, now I'm real happy with my end results. Why did you, or how did you get that idea of pizza that you wanted so um originally i was losing a bunch of weight right on a keto diet where i was cutting out carbs and every single pizza like in the keto world is just so bad like it tastes like burnt cardboard with like somehow a chemically aftertaste like it was bad like i go from store to store like online ordering anything that said keto pizza and it was just like really really bad so i was like I bet I can do better. So I got in touch with like these alternative flour companies and I was like making it, you know, so I could have a low carb pizza and, you know, truth be told, it was so much better than everything else on the market. Um, and I loved it, but then I tasted real Neapolitan pizza and I was like, uh, there's a better way. So then I was like, okay, I want to eat carbs again. Um, I'm kind of over this. I'm down over 200 pounds, like, but my body is not enjoying the lack of carbs. Um, I'm working out more. I'm trying to gain muscle. I, I want some carbs in my life. So I entered back into eating carbs and then I started to gain weight again. I'm like, oh no, this isn't good. Um, I need to be able to eat carbs in a way that's not going to spike my, you know, uh, insulin levels and such. And I learned all about Neapolitan pizzas made with sourdough. Um, and I was, you know, looking up Una Pizzeria um, in New York and their pictures were just amazing. Uh, and the process was, you know, pretty guarded. So I was piecing together, you know, what are all these people who are making this amazing, you know, sourdough or naturally leavened pizzas? Like what, what is their process? So I'm like picking apart Instagram videos and interviews from all the people who are really good at it um, and just slowly piecing it together. And I'm noticing, you know, this has a much, much healthier effect on me than, you know, eating other pizzas and it doesn't taste horrible like the keto pizzas and even better yet, it tastes better than normal pizzas that I had, right? Like the sourdough adds this flavor from the fermentation, this like not sour flavor, but more uh, enhanced flavor. Like it's just much more than uh bland dough. It's, it's a very flavorful and delicious product. So I'm experimenting, 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 and you know, it's just getting better and better. Um, even now, like I don't really make the same recipe more than one week at a time because I'm constantly trying to get it better and better and fine tune it. 
I have to say, I do love the complexity of the taste of sourdough. There's mm-hmm. different notes here and there that you don't get from just commercial yeast. Yeah. I'd love to geek out about sourdough with you, mm-hmm. but if I may just grab some information from you, because I imagine there are some people who want to do the ketogenic lifestyle or have done the ketogenic lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I myself have tried it out and it's mainly, um, you know, high fat, high protein diet, lack yeah. of carbohydrates, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Would you be able to share a, a quick successful recipe uh, for a keto pizza? Yeah, there, there's a, like a few low carb um, flours out there on the market. Uh, Carbolos has a really good one through Tova Industries that I love. That's the one I was using when I was making my secret uh, keto dough recipe. Uh, Tova Industries has just a, a really good low carb flour if you're not eating flour. Now, if you're eating flour, it's not good at all. But if you're not eating, you know, carbs, then that's definitely my favorite one on the market. I think King Arthur has a keto pizza dough or keto flour as well. Um, I haven't really tried it much, but there, there are a few different options. So basically it's use that. And then the key, I think for keto pizza that nobody knows is you can add, right, uh, vital wheat gluten, right? Gluten itself isn't very high in, in carbs because it's a protein, right? People don't realize it. So you can take your low carb flour and just chalk it full of a bunch of extra gluten, as long as you don't have celiacs, because then you're going to probably like keel over. But if, if you're not actually like, you know, having celiac disease, you can just load up on that vital wheat gluten and it gives it like that doughy consistency. Um, that was like a big part of the trick uh, for me to make pizza that kind of tasted actually like pizza as opposed to the cardboard. Ooh, I like that. Just because every time I made keto pizza, it was like cheese, a lot of cheese, mm-hmm. um, some alternative flours, but it just wasn't anything close to it. Right. You Usually like people it, use what? Almond flour and cheese and egg for the dough. And it's like, exactly, exactly. It's, that's not pizza though, right? Like mm. the gluten is like the most important part of the pizza, right? You want that developed gluten. Like that's what I'm going for is that beautiful, like spider web structure in my pizzas now. And right. it's like, you don't have gluten, you don't have pizza. I mean, and I, even like having a keto low carb pizza, I don't really consider it pizza, but it's a good pizza alternative. Right. And, sure. uh, yeah, like, but you need that gluten. I, I think that's key. And nobody, I don't, I, I've never seen people really doing it, but if you add just, you know, a few tablespoons of extra gluten to your pizza, that's low carb, then it's tasting like pizza. And then you can add like extra yeast, you know, and pizza flavored yeast or whatever. And, you know, it, it, it does the trick. Uh, I was browsing around online and I saw you put out this um, article on your recipe and it, it talked about, you know, using a minimal amount of leaven and you were using a one part leaven to eight times flour to eight times water. Yeah, so what's going on is like a lot of people will maintain a sourdough uh, starter at like one to one to one, right? Like, so you have one part flour, uh, one part water, and then one part starter. And you just keep mixing it up every day, doing your feed and discard. In Italy, uh, with like their their pasta madre, like they do a much drier version of it. Um, it's like in, in the States, we do like a liquid sourdough usually. And then in Italy, it looks like they have this much, much stiffer product. But it's the same idea. It's the same thing. You have flour and you have water. And then you're just snatching yeast out of the air and then, you know, incorporating that. Like that's, that's what this is, um, regardless of the you know, level of stiffness that you have or the hydration level of your um, culture. But what I do um, is I take that culture, that that sourdough starter, and then I use just a little bit of that to build up my leaven, right? And in doing so, now I can use a lot of this pre-ferment. Like if it was uh, 100% hydration, that's a poolish, right? So if I use this poolish that doesn't have yeast, it's powered by sourdough. Now I can use 50% of the recipe is this pre-ferment. But if I use that starter at just like a one to one to one, it would be disgusting. Like it would be so sour tasting or it'd be so uh, overdone. But by using just that little bit of the starter to build up this leaven, um, I now have this product that's got so much of this naturally leavening agent in it, but it's not that overwhelming, you know, I squirted lemon juice all over my pizza flavor. Um, So that's Mm. that's really cool. And by increasing or decreasing the amount of leaven, you prolong the time for that uh, leaven to be built, right? It's not going to happen as quickly. Yeah. So by putting like just a little bit of starter into like my 100% hydration, poolish or my leaven or whatever you want to call it, um, 
you know, and it's interesting because I've had a lot of blowback if I'm like, oh, I'm making a biga or I'm making a poolish with sourdough. They're like, no, you must, you know, I'll have like these people come out of the woodworks. No, it has to have baker's yeast to be considered a biga. I'm like, yeah, no, it, it's just a pre-ferment based on hydration ratio with yeast, but it doesn't matter if you're getting that yeast from a natural source or even like wild yeast that you're making from fruit. Like you're just using yeast and then a certain amount of flour and water. Like that's, that's all we're dealing with here. And so people will get very uh, worked up and try to tell me, no, you can't call it a Poolish or Amiga. That's why I just call everything 11 because everything technically is 11. So you can't get, you can't get mad at me for calling it that, but I get all technical. Uh, yeah. But by, um, but by using just a little bit of that starter, right? Like you end up with this, uh, very slow, uh, you know, fermenting product. So I'll let my, uh, you know, Biga go 48 hours before I even mix it with uh, the rest of the final dough, or I'll let the Poolish go like 16 to 20 hours on the counter, just growing slowly. Like, whereas my starter, it peaks in like, what, six to eight hours, but my Poolish can go like two or three times that before I'm ready to use it before it's at its peak. So it's really cool to just have that slow uh, development of the flavors and such. Let me ask you this. If you were to use the small amount of starter, mm -hmm. but you increase the heat, would it have a change so the, the hotter process. yeah so like the hotter the uh you know ambient temperature is the more um you know activity you get so i do a lot of controlling of the growth specifically to slow that down um or speed it up so um there have been times where in vegas here i've been like okay i want to see what happens if i stick it in my garage where it's like 91 degrees and then I'm going to have one in my wine cooler at 64 to kind of have a comparison and make both dough identical and, and do the comparison. I really like using the wine cooler at like a solid 64 degrees Fahrenheit. Like that seems to be the sweet spot for the dough ball rising as well as the uh, pre-ferment building. So, um, yeah, that's 64 what were the degrees differences Fahrenheit. In taste? What were the differences in taste between the two? The, um, the warmer growth is sour. It's more sour flavored, right? So my wife loves it. Like when we have like a warmer uh, dough that, that was risen um, in hotter temperatures or the pre-ferment was like, she just, she loves that sour, um, you know, really, really acidic taste. Uh, whereas I want that very, uh, very light and mild and just like a hint of, of something special in there. Okay. Good to know. So what is the recipe that you're working on now or what, because like, for starters, like not every sourdough pizza is going to look the same, but yeah, the reason you stood out to me was because you have this poofy, airy crust. Kind of, I, I, when I see it, like I hate putting people into a box, but it kind of reminds me of Canado style. Yeah, Canado no, I mean, style. that's what it is. That's exactly what I'm going for. I'm like, I want that uh, contemporary Neapolitan pizza that like the new generation of chefs in Naples are, are, are bringing up, you know, like what does Canado mean? Is that, does it mean contemporary? Um, no, it's, it's just the style. Like they're kind okay. of used, I think synonymously, uh, like contemporary mm -hmm. Neapolitan pizza is like that Canato style. Um, it's when you have that overly, uh, you know, like hyperbolic almost crust where it's just like over the hyperbolic top and it looks and like beautiful <laughs> and it's aesthetically pleasing. But, um, you know, a lot of people, like I post this, I post my, my pizzas online and, and by and large, everybody's, you know, very, you know, uh, very nice about, you know, very complimentary with their reactions, but I get, you know, a certain crowd who just hate, I mean, like they fervently hate it. You know, they call it a donut. They call my pizzas a tire. They, you know, say that's a hemorrhoid pillow. You know, they're like it, it, very, very graphic. And, and like, like there's this level wow. of emotional disdain for what I'm doing. I'm like, whoa, I'm just like making pizzas that I'm not even selling. Like people will be like, ah, how could you dare sell that? I'm like, I'm making them in my backyard, right? Like people want to buy them, but I'm not selling them right now. Hopefully one day I can, you know, sell some pizzas. But right now I'm just making them for friends and family and to showcase. But people get very, very emotionally um, invested in not liking this style of pizza. Um, and I think it's interesting because had I never, you know, tasted this type of pizza or tried it, um, I probably would have felt, you know, I mean, I wouldn't be this haterade level of extremeness, but I would probably be like, yeah, that's not for me because the dough consistency is so radically different than like what I was used to as an American eating pizza growing up. And I grew up in the Midwest. So like we had good pizza. Like I was very much a fan, not, not so much of like deep dish, but of like that bar 
style that, you know, we had all over the Midwest. Um, like it, it was really something we could get anywhere and it was, it's good pizza, but it's so much more dense. And I like New York style, but it's so much more dense. Like even Detroit uh, style that's higher hydration is so much more dense than, uh, you know, what I'm doing with, with these pizzas. Um, and it's that lightness, you know, it's like, I kind of equate it to like a Krispy Kreme donut. Like if you've had a Krispy Kreme donut, you know, it like dissolves in your mouth. So like, that's what I'm going for in my texture, you know, and it's just very recently that I've really started to achieve this where it's like, I feel like your teeth make it disintegrate upon contact. Right. Um, and it has to do with hydration, but that's just a piece of it. Um, and people don't understand that. So like I could do a hundred percent hydration level dough that would be stiffer than a 72% because the W index of your flour, like the strength of it is so important for how it absorbs the water. Um, it's not really the whole picture to be like, yes, I have an 80% hydration dough. It's like, yeah, but you use like Manitoba flour that's 400 strength and like it's still hungry and still thirsty for water. So like that's something new that I've discovered. So I've been going weaker with my flour, but higher with my hydration. And like, it just makes this dough that as long as it doesn't end up all over my fingers, you know, and I actually get it into the oven. I mean, it's just, it's like a gourmet product and it's awesome. Okay. Uh, just a couple of things before I ask my next question about your W flower today. Yeah. Number one, <laughs> I love the Krispy Kreme comparison. Huge fan of Krispy Kreme fresh, warm, even microwaved for five seconds mm -hmm. afterwards. Or, I mean, even cold from the back of the car from two and a half weeks ago, and I forgot it was back there. It's still good, right? <laughs> you and me both, okay? <laughs> so, like, here's the thing. Light equals less calories. Mm -hmm. Airy equals less calories. And that kind of just goes back to, you know, like, the journey that you've been on. It's like, you lost all this weight. You're not trying to gain it all back, but you're trying to gain the right calorie or the right amount of nutrition back for your new goals of building muscle. Yeah. You need some carbs. You don't want to go overboard. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's it. And it's the timing too. Like I try to eat my pizza after the gym. So it's like, I wake up in the morning, have a couple of protein shakes throughout my day. I'll go to the gym after work. And then as soon as I'm home, like I'm, t I'm texting my son from the gym, like, all right, turn on the pizza oven. Cause when I come home, it's yeah. go time, you know, like I'm in between yeah, sets, yeah. like, all right, get that pizza oven fired up. He's like, okay, dad. And so then I come home, you know, and that's how I carve up after my workouts is with, you know, these pizzas. And it's going to be, you know, 80% of my daily carbohydrate intake from this pizza, you know, and it has a purpose and it's serving that purpose when I eat it. So it's like the fuel um, that I use to, to help myself throughout the day. It's a great way to just have balance in your life and not overdo it. Mm -hmm. I think the second thing is, is that this is a very like niche product. You know, I, I totally agree that some pizza makers, I have one in particular, I'm not going to drop his name, but he was like, people pay for pizza, not crust. And I was just laughing because like, yeah, you can't just serve people like little toppings unless like there is, you know, unless that is the product. He was more referring to us, like making sure that we stretched it all the way out yeah. to the edge and got a good distribution. But when your product or the pizza that you're making is really there to show off this beautiful airy crust, then you got to come into it understanding that that's what you're paying yeah. for. And, and you know, to make. much to the defense of these people who have that, you know, kind of stance, like they don't understand, I think largely what the crust is, you know, cause you're basing it off of like your experience, even your experience with Neapolitan pizza. Like if you've had the good Neapolitan pizza, but it's like AVPN, you know, like the regulated, like these are the authorized Neapolitan restaurants. Like they're never going to be high hydration like that. You've never tasted something that's 80% hydration. You just, you don't know what that is. You know, you've only tasted these pizzas that have been fermented eight hours maximum, right? Um, not certainly 72 hours, you know? Um, so it's just a different product. So you're basing your knowledge, you know, that, that, that prior knowledge is based off of a different product. So it's, it's very hard to compare, you know, it would be like trying to describe Krispy Kremes to somebody who's only ever had Edamons, right? Like that's a good donut, I guess, but it's definitely not the same thing. Like it's a totally different texture and experience. So, um, you have to understand what that is. So, and, and it's just really, I mean, I've just been scratching the surface of it, like in the past month or so, as I've been upping the hydration and lowering the strength of my flowers, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been thinking I was doing, but I wasn't until now. Because yeah, when you just taste a 
crust that just dissolves in your mouth. It's a totally different experience than one that you have to like fight and chew through. It's just, yeah, it's awesome. I love that 100%. Let's go back to that question that I had earlier about like, you know, what W factor are you looking for now in the different stages? Cause I, I have a feeling you're using, you might be using a different flower for building your living and then a different flower. So like making the final dough. mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So like, this is where it starts to border on like, uh, you know, mental illness for me when it comes to the pizza making, cause I'll have, um, like right now I'm using four different flowers from four separate mills, right? All, all imported Italian flowers that I'm using for different stages of it. So it's like, okay, for my pre-ferment, I need my W for, you know, this product or whatever I'm making. I need that to start off at 3.30. But then I have to average it down, right, to uh, a grand total of like 2.90. So then I have to get these other two down. But I want to use some of that soft wheat that's harvested at a certain time of the year that gives me the puffy crust from this mill. Um, But that's a little too low. So now I'm going to bring it up from this one. And it's like this gentle balancing act. And, um, you know, I have like a few different blends down and probably I could just use one flower if I could find it, but I have yet to find one that, you know, does what I want. I mean, I would need still two, one for the pre-ferment and then one for the refreshing, but even still, I need two at least, um, in each step just to get it exactly where I want it. Can you just break that down into a little bit more detail? Cause that yeah. was to me super insightful, but also very general. So yeah. I would love to hear more. So, okay. So like, uh, for example, um, let's use, uh, Caputo cause I, I love a lot of the Caputo flowers, right? They have the Navala flower that they use and a Navala super, right? Uh, Navala has a W of, uh, 260 and the, uh, Navala super has a 330. Um, so 330 that's for a lot longer of a leavening time. So using that in the pre-ferment, right? So let's say I'm just using those two flowers. They're a very puffy crust. Um, they're harvested at a specific time of the year so that um, it, it just contributes to this fluffier end product. So let's say I'm just using those two because that would be a very uh, great starting point for someone who wants to make that canato style pizza um, and wants to make it with a pre-ferment like I do. You use that 330, that stronger flour, it can absorb more water. So um, it can ferment longer, right? So I can do 100% poolish with it, right? I'm going to do 100% hydration poolish by doing 400 grams of flour, 400 grams of water, and it's the Navala Super. Um, And then let's say I'm going to let that sit for 20 hours before I've even mixed my final dough. Okay, now that's risen. I've used, you know, 5% sourdough starter. 5% 5% of the entire recipe's flour, right, um, in that starter or in that leaven, that poolish to grow. After 20 hours, I mix that in with the rest of my flour. Um, I mix that in with the salt and with the water to get to the hydration level I want it to be. And now the second flour that I'm adding to that, that's going to be weaker because that doesn't go as long, right? And it's balancing out now and I'm not at 260. I'm not at 330. I'm right in the middle. Mm, so your what is your i guess ideal w value if you were to average it out and that and then that is like a tricky question too because it's not just the w index because different flowers absorb differently right like so i might use some some type one flower right now that's a 240 but that's like the thirstiest flower there is if i add just a little bit of that i can up my water so significantly because you have that bran and that germ um, right in there that absorbs the water too. So it, the W is important, but again, like that's not everything. There's not one thing that's the end all be all. Like I used to think it was just hydration until I made like a W 400 hydration pizza at like 80% and it was so dry and it like, you know, wasn't sticky at all. I was like, okay. So, and that kind of was what started to have that Eureka light bulb moment. But like, ideally, I think you want it around 300. I think the higher, higher W's of like 350, 360, that's really bread flour, right? Like that's really what you need for bread. Um, you want the weaker flour. As weak as you can go without um, restricting your um, leavening time. So like I have a flour that's got a W index of 200, but if I use that, it can't even really even make it 24 hours before it's, you know, just slop, right? So it's all a piece of the puzzle, but I think right around 300 with a flower that can handle the water, um, it, it's pretty good. Mm, wow. That was, that was a great paradigm shift for me. Like 
you know, it's like more and more every day I learn. And it's like, it's so true. Like the flowers that you'd use, it's just not one little piece. There's so many different pieces to the puzzle. It fits in certain different ways. Yeah. And you gotta, and you gotta learn like their personalities, you know, like all these flowers are so individual. Like I've been using a lot of uh, Pacini flower lately and it's, it's so much uh, more like a paper thin type of, of uh, end crust compared to what I had been using, but I like everything. And that's why I kind of like taking a little of this mill, a little of this mill, because I want all these attributes combined in a flower that doesn't exist. And that's why I'm making my own. I'm like, okay, I got, you know, four or five different mills combined together here to make this flower that's overly complicated, but I love it. So we're going to work with it. Let's talk about how you incorporate water. Are you using a mixer or are you hand mixing these? So, uh, about a year ago, well, six months ago, um, you know, I, I told my wife, this is what I want for my birthday. And I sent her, um, you know, an Italian spiral mixer website, uh, you know, like as a joke. But then my birthday rolled around and there it is on the counter, right? So um, she's, she's like, well, you've bought me, you know, diamonds and such. And like, I never bought you anything. So here's your one big ticket item, right? So I use the spiral <laughs> mixer uh, exclusively and I love it. I love it. Love it. Um, it's just as important, I think, as the pizza oven. Um, before that, when I was using <laughs> my KitchenAid mixer, like there were lots and lots of uh, swear words that accompanied the process of making my dough because it would get too stuck to the sides of the mixer or would be, you know, not spinning right. And I'd have to let it sit and rest and, you know, calm down for 30 minutes, then knead it by hand to finish the process just to get it to where it was. So now that I have a spiral mixer, you know, it does the whole shebang in like 30 uh, seconds compared to 30 hours, you know, I mean, th- th- oh, that, cool. that's not true. It's, it's about five to 20 minutes to mix my dough from uh, when I put it in the mixer to when I pull it out. But yeah, it's a, it's a spiral mixer all the way. I, I feel like that's where it's at. And honestly, before I had the spiral mixer, I had given up on a stand mixer and I was using a, uh, um, just a pulser, you know, like I was using a food processor to mix it, you know, very, very quickly because I couldn't get the type of spinning that I needed from the stand. Okay. So that is my life right now, right? I stopped using the food processor because I wasn't sure if I was doing it right. But then I bought a stand mixer. I returned it because I just didn't think it was doing the job. I bought a Famag um, last year. Yeah. Hopefully it's going to come March 25th. That is what they've quoted me. Yeah. That's what I use. And I just love it. I am excited. I'm so ready for it. I'm so, I'm, I'm so over taking like eight hours for my dough to be ready. Yeah. But where I figured out the no need kind of stretch and fold uh, and coil fold method, mm-hmm. I haven't figured out a, a, a easier process for incorporating water after a bega. Okay. So did you, yeah. So yeah, there's a couple different, different things you can do. So, um, one thing that's, uh, going to be very, very helpful if you're using a bega because the, the worst part about it when you're mixing the dough is you have like these clumps of it, like these chunks within your yeah. end product. You're like, no, why? Like I can't I keep exactly on kneading it. and kneading and they won't stop. So what you want to do is you want to take the the rest of the water that you're going to be using, save for maybe like 30 milliliters or whatever, like almost all of the refresh and then sit the bega in it for 30 minutes before you mix. Just let it sit in there. Sure. So that softens the bega up considerably. And then it's going to hydrate it before you mix it. So then you can take that out of that water. It's been sitting and soaking and softening up. You just, you know, break it into little pieces and then mix that up with the, with the water. But it's really important to hydrate it. Otherwise, what I do is you want to do that, uh, autolysis or autolysis. I'm not exactly sure on the pronunciation. I don't know how to pronounce any of these words, but I know how to read them. So it's okay. But, uh, you, you take your water and your flour of the refresh and you just let that sit together for like 30 minutes or an hour like mixing loosely, kind of like you would a bega. Um, you're not going to make a full dough out of it, but you just want to incorporate all the water in there. Maybe mix it just a little bit more than you would that uh, shaggy bega. But you're going to take that and you're just going to have that as the other 50% of the flour. So now you have 50% that's your bega and 50% that's the water flour. And then that mixes so much easier than just adding the water and the flour as another piece separately. So it wouldn't be a hundred percent bega. No, nope, that would be fifty percent, right? which is um, okay. Actually, my preference to do a fifty percent that way. Um, yeah, but, but just just to go back to the hundred percent bega, then yeah. like soaking it in water, yep. I have found 
works better, but then like you're still left with puddles. How are you mixing that all? How are you fully incorporating the water after? So it's when, you're mi- when you're just needing, when you're putting it in the water, uh, let me ask you this. Do you like put the whole thing in the water or do you take scissors and chop up little pieces? So what I've been doing is at sometimes I will take the biga mm-hmm. and then run it through the food processor and then dump the water in and then knead. I don't know if that's bad. I, I stopped doing that uh-huh. um, because I was still getting clunks. Yeah. And then lately, you know what? I've only done it successfully once, but I think it was just a matter of time and like letting it sit in yeah. the water and then kind of balling it together. So yeah. So like, I think it just took like a, it took a long time. So yeah, I think your best bet is going to be to let it sit in that water, you know, just let it chill. Um, to get it as hydrated as you can, like maybe 45 minutes, an hour or so before you're mixing it, then you're going to mix in everything you can. Um, you know, the rest of the, uh, the rest of the water, whatever salt you have towards the end, you know, just mix, mix, mix. Then once you're done, cause you're not done, right. You still have clumps. Then you're just going to set it on the counter covered for 30 minutes. Then do nothing, you know, just walk away, you know, go play some video games, watch a show, take a shower, whatever, come back 30 minutes later and then hand knead it the rest of the way. And that's going to be a much, much better uh, process because then it's going to give it time to relax um, and that gluten network's kind of developing up and it's helping you. And then when you go to mix it, it's so much smoother because it's less that clumpy um, and it's more relaxed at that time. And also, I find that even if you have, you know, just a few little pieces left over when you're doing it that way, once you put it in the fridge for 24 hours, it kind of just all chills and melts into itself um so Mm. yeah like i like that 24 hour 48 hour uh cold time after i've mixed the biga if there's any pieces one because it's developing flavor and then you're really having a delicious dough and two because those last little bits kind of go away by the time i make my ball because i because i kind of break the mold i think a little bit whereas um i take my dough out of the mixer and either do, you know, some stretch and folds, like maybe eight or so, and then let it sit for 30 minutes. Or alternatively, I usually just shove it right into the fridge. Like there's nothing happens. I don't have any like room temp bolt ferment. I take my dough out of the, out of the mixer and straight away into the fridge. Um, and then I ball it up out of the fridge and every day for like five days, I'll be taking out one or two bowls worth, or balls worth out of this, uh, you know, tub of dough. So like my dough usually lasts up to you know, like 120 hours. So every day I'm pulling out a little bit of it at a time, but I'm not balling all of it up at once. Um, but as I'm fine tuning my recipe, my window is actually shrinking and each pizza is getting better. Um, yeah. Okay. I like that. I like that you're bulking everything and just kind of grabbing a little bit of what you need at a time. And then I'm guessing letting it come to room temp, uh, and, and fermenting on your table. Yeah. What what I wanted to comment on is that every time I did a biga only dough, mm-hmm. I do it same day. It's because there was one time back in February of 2021 mm-hmm. where I did a biga only recipe and it worked for me. Yeah. Like, I don't know if it was hot that day or whatever, but like, I was like, oh, this was my lifesaver. This was my extra dough that I needed. And so I try to replicate the process, but every time I would just get bits and pieces and the whole storing it in the fridge overnight i'm gonna try and, you know the other thing that's really nice about that too is like okay so 24 hours later right you pull out your dough ball and you try it you're like oh that's pretty good um but also the day you mix it save you know two dough balls worth before you put the rest in the fridge and try it that night then the next day pull out another one compare it. oh which is better then the next day okay here it is at 48 hours okay here it is at 72 mm. hours and then you can kind of compare each different day and you can see the subtle differences in flavor and how the dough handles um and you can you know kind of make note of oh okay like the current coolish i have um it's the first 24 hour dough that i've I've ever loved. Usually I like the same day dough or 48 hours, but I have this new poolish, you know, with the every different variable in play or whatever that for whatever reason, at 24 hours, that's when it's the most beautiful and the most delicious and, you know, the puffiest. And so it's just interesting to note, okay, what are these differences in each recipe and when do you want to use them um, for the ultimate, mm. you know, uh, in terms of flavor and texture? I try to do that, but it's hard for me to notice it maybe because it's so subtle or I'm in a different mindset that day. Do you have anything for that? Well, you know, and for the longest time, I think my recipes were 
um, using a little bit too strong of flour. So it was, it wasn't very different each day. Um, because like all my flour was like at three, three fifty and above. And so every single day I'd be taking it out. It wasn't that much different. Um, until I noticed that it no longer worked. I'm like, okay, it's, you know, day seven. And now my dough is, you know, very, very flat pulling it out of the oven. So seven days. Okay. That's a little too much, right? Like that was the only, only difference, but now, um, I'm really, really, really focused on the texture of my dough. The flavor is always good. Like my culture, for whatever reason, tastes delicious all the time. So I'm very happy because when I lived in Illinois, I had one that was not nearly as good as the Vegas one. So I don't know if it's out here. Um, it's just better or something, or I just am better and I'm maintaining a, a healthier starter because I'm more, you know, uh, feeding it on a regular schedule and all that. I'm not sure what the reason is, but um, for whatever reason, it, it always tastes good. But the texture is really really where I'm trying to figure out what's what, because so many times I had like a gummy consistency or it would be too, too burnt or cooking too fast or what have you. Um, but now I'm really, really, really focused on that texture. So that's what I'm looking at when I'm biting these pizzas is like, am I fighting it to chew it, you know, or is it like I said, that crispy cream dissolvable, you know, solvent of a dough, you know, like, is it just dissipating upon, you know, bite. Um, so that's really what I'm looking for. And as I'm really, really trying to, you know, nail down that perfect consistency, my window is shrinking because I'm only getting that for one, two days. It's usually, um, you know, outside of that 48 hour window, the dough doesn't do that. It's still good. Right. But it's not that perfection that I'm looking for. Mm, wow. So interesting. We've talked a lot about fermentation in this conversation, and I think we can move it along to just like, what are you doing once it's at its peak or once you're ready to bake? How are you stretching that thing? And, and maybe talk about your cooking conditions too. Yeah, so um, what I'm doing, like, and I generally am just making margaritas. Like my sons, they'll want toppings of various, but like, I've always been of the, um, you know, mindset that until the dough is perfect, I don't really deserve to be experimenting with all this stuff. Like I want the perfect dough. And, it, and it's kind of like the same standard I judge a like pizza restaurant by. Like um, there's this spot here in uh, in Vegas, uh, Yukon uh, Pizza, um, that has a 124-hour naturally leavened sourdough heirloom starter that's been passed along generations and generations. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go try this place out because generally I'm you know, kind of not impressed with pizzas. Um, so I go to the spot and I order just a cheese pizza and I'm like, okay, their, their flavor is actually good. Like this is a delicious dough. Okay. So then the next time I went back there, I'm like, I'm going to try these different flavors. But for me myself, I'm like, I don't have my flavor or texture like exactly perfect. And then once I do, then I can start experimenting with everything else. But for me, I'm, I'm generally just making those margaritas. So what I'm doing is I'm taking my dough ball out, um, you know, and it's getting completely uh, dancing around and flour, um, you know, like the bench flour to make sure I can handle it. Um, and I use uh, flour that, you know, isn't going to stick to it. It just generally brushes off or whatever. Um, but yeah, I'm using my bench flour and then I'm making sure it's fully coated and then I'm pushing it all, all around, um, making sure to leave a little air trapped into that crust. And then I'm using my hands in kind of like a wax on, wax off Mr. Miyagi motion, right? Where I'm like kind of just stretching the dough out like that in gentle little rubs back and forth. And then I'm using my fingers to just stretch it out as much as possible. And then I stretch it over my hands, but not the center at this point. I'm literally just going around the rim and like I'm stretching the rim of it out to um, open it up because I'll have the complete center open, but then it'll be kind of bunched towards that big puffy crust. And then I just push that out overhead, flop it down. And the whole thing takes about uh, 30 seconds start to finish. And if it takes longer than that, I generally have botched it. So it, it has to be quick with the high hydration. Now, if I'm using, you know, like 70% hydration, then it's more of just like standard, what you would see with kind of trying to do like some slap and folds or whatever, um, or just slapping the dough. But uh, yeah, with the high hydration, you have to be quick because if you, if you overwork that dough, it's not going to be nice to you. You got to get it completely opened up fully dressed and like onto the peel within about a minute when you're dealing with a weaker flour and 80% plus hydration. Mm, thank you for reminding me what the hydration was. So what would you say is your pizza size and diameter mm -hmm. and then your dough weight? And then if you can talk about how much of like 
uh, space you leave for pushing out the air before you stretch out the edges. Sure. So my, like the end pizza is going to be like between like 11 and 13 inches. Usually like that's the size, like a, you know, uh, personal pizza. And I was using my rock box forever. So that's kind of where I got accustomed to that because that really couldn't do more than 12 inches. Now that I have my dome, I'm starting to kind of see how big we can go. But, uh, yeah, generally in I'm eating a full pizza myself. So really about 13 inches diameter. That's, that's about perfect for me. Um, so I'm leaving about two inches around on the crust, maybe an inch and a half or so. Um, before I stretch it out and then I try to get it to like a half an inch, but I, I want to have a lot of that air trapped in there. So I'm very careful when I'm migrating like the dough to the sides and, and pushing it out that I have, um, you know, like a big giant round bubble kind of on the outside. And then if that bubble in part starts to like get too loose, then I'll just pop it real quick. And it's real interesting. I haven't seen anyone do this. Um, and it's, it's actually probably the most stressful part of my pizza making. But if I start to see like a giant bubble forming in the rim of my crust that I know is going to be like a black, charry, over, over bubbly spot, what I try to do is I pinch it, you know, um, and pop it so that there's a hole and then instantly pinch, cinch it or pinch it shut after la- leaving out just a little bit of air. So it's like the whole thing is I have to poke a hole in the crust and watch it deflate for like a millisecond and then shut it again. So I just let out just the right amount of air. And I've not seen anybody else do that. And it's probably overly complicated and too stressful, but it really helps to um, make sure I don't have any bubbles. Ideally, I don't have that bubble situation going on, but I often do with the high hydration. So when I see like one giant circular bubble forming in my crust, I try to like just pinch a hole in it. And then as it's like a deflating balloon, I catch it. And then I shut it so it's even to the rest of the crust. And I don't know if that makes sense as I'm mm. explaining it. Uh, that might be something you'd have to see, but it's a very uh, stressful part of the pizza. Because if I poke the hole and I don't get it, then it's all flat. And I know that part's not going to raise, you know, so there's a... Got it. So I just... Um... And then, sorry, what was the dough weight? And then my second question was, uh, how do you... When you're stretching around, how do you prevent the crust from deflating? Sure. So... um the dough rate, dough weight is around 320 grams per dough ball, um, which is like on the higher end of what I've seen for these personal uh, Neapolitans. But you got to also remember, <clears throat> I have higher hydration, so there's less flour. You know, if you have a 50% or 60% hydration, there's more flour total. So I have to go a little bit higher for the same amount of flour in my pizza, if that makes sense. Um, so, yes, yeah, absolutely. So, I, yeah, I do 320 grams. Uh, I started off at 280. Then I went up to 300 and now I'm all the way up to 320. And as I was increasing hydration, you know, it was 280, like in the sixties. And then when I hit like 70%, I went up to 300. And now that I'm at like around 80%, I think I'm usually right around like 78, 79% per pizza, but now 320 seems to be that sweet spot. Um, so yeah. Um, and then the stretching, like when I feel like whenever I get to that point of now I'm ready to stretch over my hands, I feel like. I may be doing some damage to the dough, yeah. to the cornichon. Yeah. So yeah, you have to be very careful. So like my fingers, I don't touch the 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 rim of it really, but I'm right pressed against where it is. Um, so the rim's like mm. sitting right outside my fingers and then I'm turning it um, and I try to note where I start the turn because it'll be like a 24 um, or I mean a 360 degree rotation. And then after that, you know, it's uh, overworking the dough. So I try to just go around it one time and as I'm going, I'm just stretching out uh, just from the rim. So the rim is getting stretched further. Um, so it's not bunched up because the worst thing you can do when you're making the big puffy canado style crust is have too much dough trapped in the rim because then it's not fully um, airy. It's not light and yeah. you don't get that beautiful spider web. So you need to make sure it's not bunched up but you still need more dough at the end. So the best way I can do that is by pushing it all out and then doing a final stretch where I actually am stretching just the rim of it. Mm, Okay. 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 Love it. And then just the cook time, like Mm -hmm. what temperature and are you aiming for a certain time? Yeah. So there's the million dollar question. And that's the one thing, um, like I really, really am trying to figure out so far around 750 to 800 degrees is that sweet spot, uh, with like, a little space between the flame and the pizza itself. Um, so I don't want it too close, uh, but I want the flame, you know, very high so that it dries it out and it puffs up the crust uh, almost instantaneously. But around 750 uh, to 800, that's that sweet spot. And then I cook them for around two minutes 
Um, if it's a little hotter, it'll be a little less. And if it's a little colder, it'll be a little more. Um, and being out here in Vegas, like some days it'll be so windy. I live right out by the mountains on the outskirts of the valley. So like, it'll be very, very windy. Um, and the flame can sometimes be like whipping back and forth from that. Um, and so then it's really about taking the, the, the wheel and just turning it, turning it, turning it and trying to, you know, play against where the flame is dancing to, you know, it's kind of like a little mating dance between the flame and the dough. So fascinating. It's so lovely to hear someone else's perspective on pizza, the type of effort, because you, I will admit it, you put in so much more effort in pizza than I do. And it's so refreshing to, to hear how you do pizza to a certain level. It's cool. Yeah, I appreciate that. And like, I, um, you know, I'm all self-taught at this point. Um, like I'm watching videos and picking apart what I see, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, that's what they're doing in Naples. Oh, that's what they're doing in San Francisco. That's cool. Okay. That's what they're doing, you know, over here. And I'm just trying to take and piece together all these little bits to, to form my own style. Um, you know, I'd love ideally to, you know, train under some great, you know, maestros and some great pizza chefs. And, you know, I, I might be doing that sooner than later. Um, and talks with some people and, and that's really cool. But as of right now, like I'm, I'm totally just an idiot here experimenting and who's totally uh, way luckier than I deserve to be with what I have. Um, you know, like I never thought I would be anywhere um, as advanced as I am in the whole process at this point. And, you know, getting the type of uh, responses from people like my heroes, like the, the, the top pizza makers, uh, you know, in the country, I'll send, you know, a couple pit pictures to and I'll be like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm just a fanboy of pizza, you know, and like, I really appreciate what you're doing. You know, here's what I'm doing. And then they'll be like, Oh man, that's fantastic. You should come on out to the pizza expo and meet me. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like, I can't believe I could get that reaction. Um, you know, based on just following something that I love and, and not giving up on it. It's, it's really cool. Ethan, thank you so, so much for being on the show and really geeking out on the dough with me. I'm so impressed with what you're doing over there. And really, I cannot wait to see your journey continue. To you, the listener. Come on now. Please check out Ethan on social media at Naturally Leavened Pizza. It's going to be linked in the show notes. Please check out his beautiful creations and say thank you for being on the show. This is actually part one of the conversation. If you're looking to hear part two before it airs, check out my website. It's already up there. You can watch it in video form as with this episode, or you can listen to it by audio. If you don't want to go to my website, part two will be released on Wednesday. Anyway, I'm feeling great after that episode and I hope you are too. So please remember to leave a rating if you haven't done so already. I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. Other than that, have a great freaking day. Till next time. Peace.